0: Yes, I do, Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's are on the move with the poor and the
1: meek and the hungry and the lonely.
0: I'll never forget it. Well, I want to welcome my guests. Steven Allred to the Adventist Voices podcast. Thanks for uh, joining me. Hey, thanks, Alexander. It's good to
1: be here with you today.
0: Yeah, and normally I don't uh, go through everyone's bio on um, the recording here, but um, I thought uh, it kind of tells a nice story about who you are. Uh, You're a pastor and you're an attorney who serves of Council to the Church State Council for the um, Pacific Union Conference. Uh, You received your bachelor's degree from Heartland College, Master of Divinity from Andrews University, and your Juris Doctor from the University of Pacific uh, McGeorge School of Law in 2012. Some folks reading that from Heartland (laughs) to becoming a lawyer. Might see a narrative of apostasy. (laughs) Of course, um, others might see it as sanctification or raised consciousness. (laughs) And um, I wanted to ask you first um, why you went from uh, full time pastoral work to becoming interested in law. Well, you know,
1: that actually has to do with our kids. Um, My wife and I have three children. I was youth pastoring in Sacramento when I got my law degree and um, graduated in uh, 2012, as you mentioned, and then worked for, I continued working as a pastor after that. Um, And and for, I think until, what was it, 2016, actually, um, 2016, we were having our second child and we both Realized that we needed a little different work life balance. We wanted to be able to raise our kids ourselves if possible and not have to, you know, ship them off to daycare if we didn't have to. Um, And so my wife, who wanted to continue working part time in her profession, and I decided that I would, you know, try to find something a little bit more part time. Pastoring, as you know, or you you may or may not know this, but it it tends to be very full time. And um, even a part time pastoring job, I, I find, tends to be pretty all-consuming and so I sure around that time I was talking with the local conference here and um, they said hey we might have some work for you if you practice law and um, so yeah I ended up transitioning out of pastoring for the time being at least and I have my own private law practice and and I represent a couple of different conference entities as um, outside counsel and then I also do some work with the church state council as you mentioned but I guess my most (laughs) that's great my most important job, I'll say this is, is probably being a dad, you know, because I get to do that part time too. So (laughs)
0: like pastoring, I'm sure raising three children is, is never part time. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So um, you also uh, uh, host a podcast called do justice. Now I always like to plug projects and I'm curious why you got into um, doing that as well. You know, after I stepped down from pastoring, um,
1: I just felt this uh, compulsion to um, talk about things. You know, I guess that's what preachers do, right, is they talk a lot. And um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a pulpit anymore, really. I mean, I still preach here and there, you know, on the weekends. But I, I wanted to, I just wanted to be able to discuss uh, issues related to justice, social justice, uh, with other people and hear their thoughts and learn from them and, um, and share. And so that's kind of where the do justice podcast came from. Um, and the, uh, it's been, it's been fun so far. We just started early this year and I've only had a few guests, but I have some more lined up and it's, it's fun to do.
0: Well, let's jump back a little bit. And um, since you're um, you focus on social justice, um, obviously, in your bio, since you went to Heartland, you come from you're very familiar with um, kind of conservative Adventism. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm curious how you. How did you come to care about social justice, which doesn't generally, um, it doesn't generally make up uh, a big um, part of the conservative Adventist um, conversation? Although I think it could very naturally fit with a lot of Mm -hmm. of Adventist theology, uh, historic Adventist theology, if you want to say that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm curious, how did you... um, come to, to care so much about social justice? I think friends
1: that I were talking, that I was talking to, uh, started me out on that path. Um, people who had experienced discrimination in their own lives or had a different, uh, cultural, uh, perspective. I think that's what probably got me started out. Um, but I do remember back when the movie 12 years a slave uh, had come out, I wanted to actually read the real story. And, you know, Hollywood oftentimes, you know, t- it makes little twists and turns on, on the actual story. So I was like, I'm going to actually read, you know, what actually happened. And so I picked up the book 12 years a slave, which is basically the autobiography, as you probably know, of a uh, freed man who was black, who ended up being kidnapped yeah. and sold as a slave and then eventually escaped and wrote this, this memoir. And I read that and I had never in my life, realized how terrible slavery was. Um, you know, it's weird because you grow up and maybe I just missed it. I don't know. But uh, I don't know that we teach this to our kids in our history books very often. Maybe we do in some you know, schools, but not in others. Well, let's be honest. Very rarely. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, that book and I read it out loud to my wife, part of it, because we were uh, we had no kids at the time. We had time to read, you know. Uh, so we're sitting there reading this book and it was just like my heart was aching for days afterwards. Um, and that really was, I think, an eye opener for me. And I started to uh, actually read the Bible differently and to read. Ellen White's writings, who, you know, I respect her writings, and I, I read stuff in there that I just hadn't noticed before. I mean, she has a lot to say about social justice. Um, she may not have used that particular phrase necessarily, although there are some compilations that use that actual phrase in the compilation uh, subheadings. But uh, she has some really powerful stuff, profound stuff to say about how that is part of our work. And as, as Adventists, Isaiah 58 uh, has to be combined with our understanding of the three angels messages. And, um, and so that is kind of what got me started on that path.
0: That's great. Um, you know, I think that it's always important, uh, as you point out to, for Adventists to kind of connect the real world to, um, the kind of stories and, um, kind of interpretive frameworks that we have. And I um, I'm curious as you've continued to um, kind of investigate the connection between the, let's say the world uh, the world of injustice and Adventist thought, what, what other connections do you see or what issues have you come to care about? Mm-hmm. Well, I think so, you know, racial issues
1: definitely are a, um, are something that I think we need to talk more about within the Adventist church. And there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of festering wounds there. Um, I think a lot of people like myself who grew up as a white man in a largely, um, you know, surrounded by other people who were like me. uh, I I had no concept of why people would feel that way until I started rubbing shoulders with people who uh, weren't like myself. And heard their stories, heard what they experienced in society and even in the church and it it was eye opening. Um and again, you get into the writings of Ellen G. White where she talks about how um okay, even if you weren't a slave owner, even if you didn't actively take part in oppressing people when it came to the issue of racism or slavery, uh you still owe a debt to the people who've experienced that. Um, which is, which is, you know, for Americans, we don't like to think about owing anything to anybody. We're individualists. This is our, our perspective. And yet, um, Ellen White was very much into the idea that there is some collective responsibility for what has happened in our country. And I think we could also say in our church and the Bible is, is clear on that as well. I mean, there's several stories and you've got the example, of course, of Daniel in Daniel chapter nine, where he's praying a prayer and he's confessing. The sins of his people. They're not his sins, but they're his people's sins. And he's confessing those and taking responsibility for them in a sense. Um, And so, yeah, I think racism is a very interesting issue. Um, I think when it comes to civil rights in general, um, oftentimes, I mean Adventists, let's let's face it, I think we have a very unique and um, uh, I think a correct perspective in many ways on civil rights, at least historically, because we have believed in the separation of church and state. Um, that's becoming a very rare idea in the religious world these days. But, um, yeah, the uh, so that I think that's led us generally to be a little more open to people that we disagree with out there having civil liberties. Um, but, you know, nowadays, of course, the hot button issues are things like, um, you know, gay rights and, um, of course, abortions coming up again, which is an interesting uh, area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. Yeah. I saw you did
0: an episode on that recently. Right. And, uh, um, I was just at the bioethics conference and, um, a lot of Adventist ethicists are, are really focused on that. In fact, a uh, little plug for spectrum. I, we have a issue of the journal coming out that's going to focus in part on that, um, because there is quite a bit of a push, Not just in the conservative Christian world, but in Adventism to change our own um, policies around what uh, healthcare institutions can do. Interesting. So. Um, those are really interesting issues. And I love how you connect this idea of collective debt. I mean, it almost sounds like uh, the R word reparations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that that is um, interesting when it's approached theologically and not just um, in legal terms. Um, um, I'm Let's jump uh, to this uh, kind of history of yours, if you don't mind a little bit, um, because um, you're, you keep talking about Ellen White as if she has something relevant to say about, um, kind of politics and social issues today. And I always find that really interesting about your approach. A lot of folks who care about, um, social justice don't really care that much about Ellen White. And you really insist on keeping both of those in conversation, um, uh, did you always, uh, f- you know, what, did the Ellen White come first for you? And and why have you, if so, why did you kind of uh, keep her around? Yeah, how do, why did do I keep her around?
1: I don't know. That's a good question. I think as I've read her, I've grown to respect her perspective. I, I feel like some people have, you know, heard selective things from her. And as a result, they've been turned off because we do tend to cherry pick no matter where we're coming from and we want to, you know, use stuff to promote our, our particular viewpoint. But I, I think if you read her, you know, in a more holistic, comprehensive way, she has, uh, I mean, just a really beautiful, uh, loving, just and Christ-like approach to these issues. I mean, for example, um, there's a great quotation in, I think it's the thoughts from the Mount of blessings book where she actually says, that a religion that doesn't care about human rights is a spurious religion. It's one that's not even, you know, Christ-like. <laughs> and she, uh, she says, you know, if you don't care about human rights, needs or suffering, and, uh, you think about that. And it seems like today, um, you know how Christianity is caricatured in popular culture is, um, that were these people only care about ourselves, religious freedom for us, and not necessarily about people that that disagree with us? And so we have these culture wars. And I think that caricature is is largely based upon reality because a lot of Christians uh, have attitudes that you know you could describe as bigoted in many ways. And and I'm not talking so much about theological yeah. views because I think you can hold views uh, that disagree with someone else's actions and not be a bigot. But I'm talking about, you know, are you going to let that person live and, uh, have, you know, rights in society? I think that's a different issue. Um, so anyway, I, you, you look at, uh, Ellen White's perspective and I, I just wish that we as Adventists could, um, you know, portray that in a better light to the world. And, And I think we are in many ways, but maybe we could do that better.
0: I know I could. Yeah. Um, since you've brought up, um, the Adventist heritage of church state separation and connected it to human rights, can you talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, we're coming up on 4th of July and it's always a time when, um, um, Christian churches become uh, really comfortable mm. with uh, nationalist rhetoric. And um, while well, we see, you know, American flags in churches um, almost, uh, well, uh, it's almost mm-hmm. ubiquitous. Um, you start to see uh, even more um, visual displays Um, and I'm just curious how you think about, um, that.
1: I I think what's dangerous about mixing nationalism with religion is that the two become conflated and people start to think of their country as, you know, God's favorite. And we've seen that in history with certain nations, um, and, America has, of course, a history of that as well. Now, let's just face it. Um, America is a an incredible place to live. Um, I love America. Um, and if you're going to look at even what Ellen White had to say, just to bring her back into the conversation, uh, she was a proud patriotic American as well, and also had lots to say about how this nation was blessed of God and that kind of thing. But if you look at what makes us better than other nations, it's not so much our military might or our, um, you know, financial prosperity, et cetera, et cetera, or the fact that we're of a particular culture or largely, you know, of a particular skin color or something like that, as some people would want to make us. Um, it's the fact that we have a unique perspective on protecting liberty of conscience and this concept of separation of church and state. I mean, we were really the first major nation to take that idea and encode it in our constitution and say, we're going to make this part of who we are, this this concept that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, which is what the First Amendment tells us. And and by the way, that First Amendment was very controversial when it was first uh, proposed because the religious leaders of the time didn't like that. They said, man, we are used to getting money from the taxpayers to pay pastors salaries. That was common back in colonial America. And it even lasted after the, yeah. the federal constitution was established in many states because the states didn't have to comply with the federal constitution necessarily at that time. So, um, the, uh, that concept of the separation of church and state is what makes makes America. I believe Uh, such a great nation because we have allowed people the freedom to dissent and not, there's not a uh, a way that you have to believe in order to hold public office or to just exist in this country. And so unfortunately, you know, when I go to church and I hear a lot of patriotism, it's, I, I can understand, you know, if the pastor is talking about it and it's, you know, it's, it's a part of the sermon, but I guess for me personally, when I go to a church and it's a huge part of the service, and we're you know parading flags and showing movies with this and that and the other, um, I, I think it can confuse people into thinking that somehow we are better than other peoples around the world because just because our nation has some good things in it, oftentimes we forget about what it is that makes us great. So if we're going to be talking about liberty of conscience and how America is, is great in that area, at least in many regards. Awesome. Let's do that. But if we're just gonna be like, Oh, America is such an awesome nation, nation because of, you know, just the fact that we're here and, and we are who we are. Um, I think the danger is again, that we send the wrong message and and people start to think themselves as better than other people. And, and, uh, and in fact we know that God has created all human beings of one blood, uh, that we are all his children. And, um, just cause you happen to be born here or live here doesn't make you better than anybody else. Yeah. So I, I get a little uncomfortable sometimes when it gets too focused on <clears throat> our military might and these other things when we go to church and we're talking all about that.
0: Um, so since you, uh, clearly care about, uh, the law and it's part of your job, I'm kind of curious about what, uh, an, uh, an attorney who, uh, works, um, for the Adventist church, what sort of, um, uh, cases do you, uh, take on?
1: Well, so my practice right now is largely estate planning and probate, which has really nothing to do with religious So
0: uh, (laughs) I know, right.
1: (laughs) Um, and, and the reason for that is that, um, you know, I work with a couple of conference entities as well as private clients and it's, the nice thing about that area of practice, it's very flexible. And so with the, the uh, lifestyle we're trying to achieve right now with our kids, that works well, I don't have to be in court a lot. And that kind of thing. I have done some cases with the church state council, um, our friend Ellen Reinock, who I know you are friends with, mm-hmm. uh, he and I have worked together on some cases. And I, I, we've got one right now, or a couple right now that we're working on, I guess, just one, because I've gotten rid of most of them. We've, we've either settled them or uh, they've resolved in some way, but, um, so, but yeah, the cases that Alan does and that I've helped him on, uh, have been cases representing individuals generally against, um, large corporations who refuse to grant them religious accommodation in the workplace. And so these are employees who, for example, want to have their holy day off instead of having to work on that day and be scheduled to work, Uh, whether it be Sabbath, we've represented people who observe Sunday. uh, I've helped represent individuals who are incarcerated. Uh, We've represented a Muslim uh, gentleman, a Catholic gentleman that were incarcerated here in the Sacramento area who had some religious issues with the, um, the uh, CDCR, which is the California prison system. So, But the cases generally that the church state council does have to do with religious accommodation in the workplace, a lot of them are Sabbath workplace cases. Uh And thankfully, California state law is probably the most protective in the United States when it comes to religious accommodation. Uh, We have done a lot of work here. The church state council has to promote uh, good law when it comes to workplace accommodation. And even the word Sabbath is in the law because you know it recognizes that people do want to observe a Sabbath and that that should be something their employers strive to do. And you know, we also respect employers because we realize employers, you know they have their burdens as well to carry and it's not always easy. Um, but the bar is pretty low, honestly, for employers to accommodate an employee. It's not that high. All they have to do is try to work with them. And, and if there is no reasonable way to accommodate them and, and the burden would just, you know, uh, be a little bit too much, the employer can say, Hey, I I just can't do it. It's going to cost me, you know, X amount of dollars extra or something like that. But most employers just stonewall the employee. They don't even talk to them or they act like they don't have that right at all, or they shouldn't even have that conversation. And that's where we get involved and start dialoguing with the employer if they're willing to. If that doesn't work, then we'll, we'll file a complaint with the Department of Fair Employment and Housing or the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Um, that's a process that we can either let it play out or we can request a right to sue. And if we feel like it's a good case, then we'll um, file a lawsuit in state or federal court. And most of the cases that the church state council does settle before trial. I think Alan told me, uh, he'd been doing this. He's been doing this for about 20 years, maybe, maybe a little bit more now. Uh, he's only maybe tried three or four cases. I think huh. in those 20 years, um, there might be a couple, maybe let's say five cases. I don't know. I think a few years ago it was two cases is what he told me. I know we've done a couple since that, uh, he and Jonathan Cherney, who is,
0: um, an associate of his have done, uh-huh. So um, I'm curious so how, a do how, yeah. does a, um, how does somebody, uh, say a Muslim or someone who practices uh, another faith besides Adventism, end up working with um, uh, an adventist organization uh, like that? Do you I've, I've always wondered that.:
1: Alan Reinach has done a lot of good work when it comes to networking with the, the wider legal community okay. here in California. He's known across the country and definitely here in California as, as the expert in this area of law. And so when it comes to lobbying uh, here in Sacramento or when it comes to just, I mean, he, he attends lots of attorneys conferences. And so a lot of folks know him and they'll refer stuff to him. And so he's, you know, we worked with CARE, which is the... Uh, uh-huh. Center for American Islamic Relations. We've worked with the Sikh Coalition, um, and of course, uh, and Catholic groups. Uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a conservative mm-hmm. group. Um, so people on both left and right, I think, really respect the work the Church State Council does, and that's largely due to Alan's work. He's he's done a lot of networking, so huh. people refer,
0: yeah. Well, um we'll wrap up here in a second, but I want to jump back to um a kind of a final reflection by you which is that I'm you know, you're focused on law, you're focused on uh, obviously raising a family and um when you think about um your you know, your faith, your culture of adventism, um what uh, what you, you know and you think about the future? What sort of things give you um, pause? Um, and then what sort of things give you uh, hope for what um, Adventism, as really a global organization, can um, do? And and why you know you want to be part of that dialogue? You yeah, know the things that give me pause would be
1: that it seems like in some ways many of us are being influenced negatively by the culture around us. And, and what I mean by that is, see, I I believe that we as Adventists, as Christians ought to be looking out and listening to the culture around us and learning from the culture around us. Uh, For example, how are we coming off? Are we actually communicating or connecting with the culture? And unfortunately I don't think we do that very well often. Uh, But I think the political attitudes, um, the divisive, uh, polarized political atmosphere of the world is, is creeping into the church. People are letting their, uh, you know, well, and let's just talk about this concept of tr- separation of church and state. You know, it's something that Adventists have theologically, we have come to this position based on our theology. We've, it hasn't been something cultures imposed on us, or we just you know picked it up from the, uh, Anabaptist tradition necessarily that we came from, but I think we've really said, Hey, what, what should we think about how church and state should interact? And so we've read what Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would be fighting with the sword. You know, we've read Ellen White where she talks about, um, you know, the union of the church and the state be the degree never so slight doesn't bring the the world closer to the church. It brings the church closer to the world, you know, so on and so forth. And we've, we've read Revelation 13 and our concept there of, you know what that means, and we we've said, hey, it's not good when the the church uses the state to force people to do X, Y, or Z. And unfortunately, I think a lot of Adventists today have forgotten that theological heritage, or they don't understand it, and the cultural, um, you know, the, the 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 concepts around us and the culture are are influencing us to say, no, 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 we gotta we gotta get America back to God. We've gotta start imposing our ideas on other people out there through the law. And I, mm-hmm. that troubles me because I, I think it's a lack of understanding on a lot of people's part because, you know, it's, it's a somewhat nuanced subject, you know, and we could get into it more sometime maybe, but it's, um, there's some nuance there. I don't think we do well with nuance in our, our particular society or maybe it's just human nature. Um, so that concerns me. I, I, um, but I'm optimistic though, because, um, you know, I, I think that um, I also see young people nowadays being very interested in doing justice in our world. And um, you know, largely I think there's there's a lot of young people who are who are into that. And I think that is a something that springs from something God has put in us, you know, a desire to help yeah. others and uh, to see them succeed. So yeah, I, I, am optimistic because, and you know, what makes me love Adventism is the fact that we strive to be, um, authentically biblical. We want to, we want to be people of the word. This has been our, our thing, you know, since we came to be, we were, we were looking at the Bible. We're saying, how can we follow Jesus in, in the Bible? And, um, And I think when people actually follow Jesus as he's revealed in his word, that's beautiful. It's, is, it's loving. It attracts people to him. And so because of the fact that I know God is alive and well, and he's leading people everywhere, I believe that, you know, God's gonna, he's going to bring his people through uh, all the different distractions along the way, you know? And, um, and of course, you know, I know, We know the end of the story. We know what revelation tells us that God's going to, he's going to win. He's not going to win through force. He's not going to win through um, a political movement that imposes his views on other people. And, and by the way, I say that with a caveat, because there are times I believe to get politically involved and to advocate for. Uh, for justice in society. But we could talk more sometime maybe about how that looks because there, there, there's some nuance there. But, um, but God's not going to ultimately win through that. He's going to win through winning people's hearts and minds through love. And uh, that's a more powerful force in the universe than anything
0: else. Well, it's been uh, really great chatting with you. Thanks for uh, sharing um, your values uh, with uh, the Spectrum community. Hey, it's been fun. Thanks, Alexander. All right, take care. Yes, I knew, Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it.